if you snuck in late uh, or you missed it, my name uh, is Chris. It, it's great to have you along uh, with us tonight here at Beyond. Uh, over the last uh, three weeks and again tonight, we've been asking uh, one question. And we've been, we said that if, if you use this question, if you apply this question to your life, it'll, uh, it'll help you frame the way that you go about your relationships. Uh, and the question we've been asking is, are you the person the person you're looking for is looking for? In other words, if you have this idea of what you want in your mind of the, of the perfect partner, the perfect boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, partner, uh, whatever it may be, uh, what, what does that look like? And if a person with those kind of qualities were to walk through the door of your uni lecture, into the coffee shop uh, where, where you're studying, uh, into, into the, the, the place where you work, uh, maybe into your school, uh, maybe you just bumped into them on the street, if they were to meet you, would you be someone who possessed the qualities of the person that they were looking for? And so we've been applying this lens, you know, are you the person the person you're looking for is looking for? And we applied this in part one uh, to the area of love. Uh, then in part two and part three, uh, we applied it to the area of dating. And tonight, we come to the sex talk. Um, now, for some of you, uh, I know that, that straight away, uh, when you say, hear the word sex in church, you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that I came to church on a night where they're going to talk about sex. I know what the church thinks when they talk about sex. I know what religious people uh, think about when they talk about sex. Uh, chances are, if you grew up in church, uh, you probably had one of, of two uh, options when it came to talking about sex. Uh, the first one, it was always like, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. And then you'd say, why? And they'd say, because the Bible says, do not. Oh, okay. And then the second, the second uh, main area that, that churches approach is they just don't talk about it at all. Because they think if we don't talk about it at all, then, then like, what's going to happen when everyone goes out into the world? We, we wonder why, why people are having, we're struggling with relationships, why people can't figure out this whole sex thing, but we're not talking about it. Chances are, even if you don't really consider yourself particularly religious, you have some kind of idea, uh, whether it's through, through social media or, or whether it's through um, friends that you know or whether it's just through life in general, of what you think you would get if you came to church and, and uh, heard the sex talk. Maybe some of you have never even had the sex talk before. This is going to be a fun story for you to tell your friends when, uh, you know, later down the track when they say, oh, did you ever have the sex talk? Actually, yeah, I got it in church. It's really awkward. Um, so what we're going to do tonight, if you're, if you're not a Christian or you don't consider yourself particularly religious, I'm not going to try and convince you um, that Jesus is the saviour of the world. I'm not going to try and convince you that, you know, this is what the Bible says and this is what you should and shouldn't do. All I want to do is add a category to your thinking that maybe didn't already exist. And, and what I want to do tonight is I want to bring uh, the, my main point right off the bat. I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. Uh, because uh, when we talk about sex and we talk about this kind of stuff, it, it might bring up some feelings. Uh, some of you might get offended and might, might want to leave early. That's okay. I just want you to know what the main point I was trying to get across uh, so that if you leave really offended, you'll know what the take-home point was. And the take-home point is something that our culture doesn't really talk a lot about. In fact, chances are uh, you, probably, you, you, you probably do know this intuitively. I would say that we all know it intuitively. Either we've just pushed it down or we've tried to forget it. And the main point that I want to talk about tonight, that culture doesn't talk about lots, is this. Sex. It's not just physical. The idea that sex is not just physical. And I tried, to, I tried really hard to think of ways that I could wade into this subject. 
where I could get everyone on the same page, where everyone would, would, would see where we're going and, and we'd all be able to kind of move towards the direction uh, that we wanted to go, even if you disagreed with me. I found it really hard. So what I wanted to do is I'm going to ask a number of really awkward questions, but it's going to bring this issue right front and center. Because I understand right off the bat, some people are going to say, no, sex, sex is just physical. There's, sex is, there's, only physical, there's nothing more to sex than just the physical act. And so what I want to do is I want to ask us these questions and I want to bring this idea front and center for us, that the idea that sex is not just physical and then we can build on that. So these are the questions and I don't have answers to these questions, but they're questions that, that you can consider and think about. Why is it that when a child is sexually assaulted, they find it incredibly difficult to have intimacy in relationships later in life. Why is, if sex is just physical, why, do, why does someone who is sexually assaulted as a child struggle to have intimacy in relationships further down the track? Is it because that, that the, the abuse that they suffered touched the deepest part of their being and that's what carried through and that's what they experienced? Because if it's only physical, then we should really be able to get over it, sh- shouldn't we? And no one would ever dream of saying that to someone who had been abused. But why is it that we don't if it's sex is just physical? Here's another one. Why is it that women can more easily report domestic violence than they can rape? Why is it that that rape brings with it such shame and such guilt that, that women don't actually want to report it? They're more willing to report domestic violence than they are willing to report rape. And if, if, if sex is just physical... Then, then why is it that we can't bring ourselves to report rape? Why is there so much more shame attached? Why, why is there so much more emotional baggage and damage done through rape than domestic violence? Maybe, um, maybe you're not really connecting with this. So what about this one? Why is it that most of the time, for the majority of people, our greatest regrets in life are sexual? Why is it that for the majority of the, our greatest regrets are sexual? Um, I have the privilege of doing life with lots of people and catching up with lots of people, but one of the common themes I find when I'm having coffee with someone and they sit down and they say, I've really got something to tell you, Chris. I've never told anyone this before. It's never I just accidentally dinged the car at Chermside and I didn't leave my number. It's never that. It's never like, oh, my parents told me to clean my room and I just didn't do it and I feel really bad. I've just got to get this off my chest. So often it's, it's got to do with their sexual past or, or something that, that they regret in the arena of their sexual experience. Last one. Why is it that you're curious about your partner's sexual past? Why is it that when you get into a relationship, one of the first things, you know, after the cooling off period is done, the first things you want to know is, tell me about your sexual experience. What's it been like? And why is it maybe if you're like, no, nah, that, that's, that's not me. Why is it that if you don't fit into that group, you don't ask the question because you don't want them to ask you about your sexual past? You've had a pretty colourful past. You think if, if I don't, you know, I'm hoping uh, that, it, that their past is not the same as mine, but, but I'm not going to bring it up. Uh, if they bring it up, maybe we'll deal with it, but I'm not going to bring it up right off the bat. And as awkward, okay, as awkward as those questions are, as jarring as it is to hear them and think about it, it really hits at that point that sex is not just physical. And we know it. You know it, I know it, our culture knows it, but we just don't talk about it. The idea that sex is not just physical. In fact, what we try and do is in our culture is we try and separate sex into this one, when, when I want it to be, it's a physical act. And, and when, I, when I want it to be, it's a physical and it's emotional act. But it doesn't work that way. In fact, what we try and do is we try and separate 
intimacy from the physical side of things. See, this, this little word called intimacy means to be known and to be fully known. Means to, oh, sorry, to fully know, well, same, same idea. To, be, to fully know and to be fully known. The problem is, though, when we just treat sex as something physical and then later down the track we want to use sex to experience intimacy, we can have so much trouble and so much difficulty. That's why men who have pornography addictions during their teenage years or in a married life become numb to the touch of their wives. Because sex is more than just physical. It numbs them to that intimacy that they so deeply want to experience. It's why people who, who, who just treat their sexuality uh, like, like, uh, like it doesn't mean anything and they have multiple sexual, affairs, uh, sexual partners find it so difficult when they finally get married to experience true intimacy in that relationship. Because what we've done within our culture is we've taken this idea of sex and we've made it just physical, even though we know that it's not. It might, it probably doesn't actually surprise you to know that um, the Bible has something to say uh, about this idea of sex and the idea that it's not just physical. What, what it might surprise you to know is it's actually uh, not religious, uh, religious movements in general have not pushed forward this idea of sex within the context of marriage. Religious movements in general have not pushed forward the idea of sex within the context of marriage. In fact, uh, the passage we're going to look at today was written by a guy called Paul. And Paul wrote this letter to a church that he had started in Corinth. And all the surrounding cultures around this town in Corinth practiced some kind of, of pagan uh, worship. It was really common in those cultures for sexual expression to be a part of the worship service. It was actually legal in those cultures. If you were married uh, to a woman, husbands, it was actually okay for you to go down to the temple... Uh, hire a temple prostitute, have sex with her, and that wasn't considered cheating. Christianity and, follow, and, and Jesus uh, uh, put forth this new paradigm for thinking about sex, sex and, and the way that we're designed to experience uh, intimacy and sexuality. And it goes against what the majority of religious movements of our time or, or just of history believe. A lot of us think because we grow up in the West, we, we, our main experience with the religion is Christianity, that, oh, because, you know, Christians talk about sex in the context of a, a committed marriage relationship, that must be the way all religions across all times have talked about sex. No. In fact, when Paul's writing this letter to the church at Corinth, one of the major issues that these people are having is that they once were part of that culture. They were part of that culture where they could go to the temple and sexual experience was part of the worship service. It, it was, you know, uh, we would actually be, be considered like a, a, pretty, uh, a pretty soft culture in terms of sexual expression compared to some of the pagan cultures that, that existed uh, around the time that Paul was writing this letter. And so the culture within Corinth is, is starting to be corrupted a little bit uh, because these people came from pagan religions and then they became followers of Jesus. And they didn't quite understand what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the design for sex. And they didn't understand what Paul was talking about when he started the church and he talked about this idea of intimacy and this idea that sex is, just, is more than just physical. And so Paul's writing to this group of people in the midst of this culture who are starting to, they started off well, but then they're starting to go back to some of their old habits starting to go back to some of the old uh, ways and, and uh, begin to go back to some of those pagan ways of worshipping. And Paul writes to them, uh, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
Uh, If you've got your Bibles, if not, uh, it'll come up on the screen for us. And this is what he says. He says, flee from sexual immorality. I understand right off the bat, uh, Paul sounds a little bit like Coach Carr off Mean Girls. Don't have sex because you will get pregnant and you will die. Okay, don't, just don't have sex. Paul sounds like a typical church person. Uh, in fact, you know, this probably sounds like a lot of uh, pastors or church people that you've heard of in the past. Don't do it. The difference with Paul and what he's saying here is he goes on to explain why it's not such a good idea. And he goes on to unpack, not just, just, not just don't do it, but, but here's some reasons why that it would be best to, ex, uh, to uh, experience sexual intimacy within the context that it was designed for. And this is what he says. He says, flee from sexual intimacy, all other sins. Right off the bat, Paul's saying, sexual sin is different. It's not different because you get pregnant uh, if you have sex. It's different Uh, from all other sins. It's not different in the fact that sexual sins are worse than other sins. It's just different. And he says, this is the reason why it's different. Because all other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually, sins against their own body. So what Paul's trying to say here is, when you enter into sexual sin, someone gets hurt and it's you. All other sins that you commit, all other ways that you break relationships in your life, someone else is affected. You hurt someone else. But in this one, when it comes to sex and and sexual sin, you are the one who ends up getting hurt. And this is why the New Testament advocates for for sex and the expression of sex within the context of marriage. The New Testament talks about the idea and the Old Testament talks about the idea that sex is great, sex is fantastic, when it's experienced within the context that it was designed for. Not because God or Jesus has something against you. Not because Jesus wants to take away your fun. But because God designed sex and he wants something for you. And he actually wants you to experience intimacy. And he knows that if you experience sex outside of the context that it was designed for, then you will end up hurting yourself. And God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want you to hurt yourself. And the reason why Paul is so adamant about this idea of sexual expression being experienced within a a married or a committed married relationship is because of this stickiness that he talks about when it comes to sex. sex. He says, Paul talks about sex being sticky. And a couple of verses earlier, uh, he says says this. Uh, He's talking to the the Corinthian church. He goes, do you not know? Um, Remember, this is a pagan culture, so they didn't know. Uh, So Paul's kind of being a little tongue-in-cheek. He's like, do you not know? Obviously, of course you don't know. Let me explain it to you. He goes, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For the scriptures say that two are united into one. So Paul's referencing back to the Old Testament and, and he says the two are united into one. And the people who are listening to Paul would have, would have been shocked by what he said. The people who were listening to Paul would have been like, hang on, Paul, did you just... When you, when you said that, that they become one, like that... That sounded a lot like you, you, you used the, the expression of a family, like we're trying to start a family. And Paul would have been like, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. And they would have been like, but don't you understand? Like, like we have sex with the temple prostitutes. Like, you know, sexual expression is part of our, our worship. And Paul goes, yeah, and when you do that, you stick yourself to that person. You become one with that person. Because whether you want it to be a physical act or not, it's more than just something physical. And he actually used the word that Paul uses there for that word unite, when you unite yourself uh, with, with someone, it, it, it's uh, 
could be translated as glue or super glue. When you unite yourself with someone, you stick yourself to that person. And the more times that you go through your life and you stick and you unstick yourself to someone else, and then you unstick yourself and then you stick yourself to someone else, the, the more that sex begins to lose its stickiness and ultimately uh, it begins to become insignificant. The more you stick and unstick yourself to someone uh, or someone else through the course of your life, ultimately sex is going to lose its stickiness and ultimately it'll lose its significance. Now, I understand that there might be a small majority of people, um, I, I can only talk from a guy's perspective, uh, but particularly guys who are thinking at this point, that's what I want, the whole insignificant sex thing. That's what I'm after. I understand, I, can un- I, I can't fully understand it, but I can appreciate where you're coming from. If you can get sex to a point where it's insignificant, where you don't feel anything, where the stickiness is gone, then, then why not go down that route if that's what you really want? Let me just paint a picture of what your future will look like if that's the way you're going to go. If you think that you, know, you get to a point where sex is going to be insignificant uh, and, and you just want to live in that place, eventually what's going to happen is you're going to start dating people based on whether or not they're good at sex. If someone's not good at sex, you're not going to date them. If someone's good at sex, you're going to date them. The problem with that is you are going to end up marrying someone because they're good at sex. And then what's going to happen is they're going to want a relationship with you. And you're not going to know how to do it. Because the way you've been approaching relationships is looking for the person who's going to give the best sex. I want to let you in on a, a little bit of a secret, which is really not a secret. It's just something we don't talk about that much. You know this, I know this. You are sexually compatible with hundreds of thousands of people. You are not relationally compatible with as many people. You are sexually compatible with with thousands of people, but you are not emotionally compatible with as many people. And when we begin to evaluate our relationships relationships with sex as the litmus test for for what we're going to step into, ultimately we're setting ourselves up for failure before we even get into the relationship. Your chances of relational success if you pursue a relationship purely based on good sex is zero. I don't know whether anyone has, has told you, but there's been a research done. The amount of time that sex takes in people's lives is less than 5%. If you base your entire relationship and whether you should be in a relationship and what the future looks like, based on less than how you spend less than 5% of your time, you're setting yourself up for relational failure. And maybe you're sitting there and, and I understand, maybe you're saying, right, Chris, you're just, you're just religious though, man. You're just a religious guy. I get what you're saying, but, but sex is personal. I understand where Paul could have been coming from. But, but, you know, I get what he's talking about with the stickiness and the glue and all that. But, but, you know, you're just religious. That's what religious people believe, that sex is only found within the context of, uh, you know, marriage. You know, I don't believe that. It's a personal decision, isn't it? And sure, it's, it's a personal decision. But the decisions you make have consequences in your life. For example, all of us have appetites. All of us get hungry. Why is it that some of us are overweight? Some of us you know, eat so much of the wrong type of food that we end up getting heart disease or getting diabetes. The reason is because we're designed the same way. 
You and I know the types of food that if we eat them in copious amounts without exercising, we're going to put on weight. It's going to be converted to fat. You and I know that if we eat uh, junk food in moderation, we can do that. It's not going to have massive negative effects on us if we exercise well because we are designed this, uh, in, a, in, a, in the same way. In the same way, we all have a sexual appetite because we are designed in the same way. Now, just like people have the opportunity and, and the ability to choose how to express their appetite, you have the option and the choice to choose how you express your sexual appetite. But you can't choose the outcomes. You cannot choose the outcomes. Just like you can't choose the outcome is, if I eat this cheeseburger, my body's going to somehow not convert it all to, sh- uh, you know, convert the sugar to, to fat and store that. You don't have a choice in that outcome. If you put it into your body, your body's going to do what it does. In the same way, if you take sex and you express your sexual appetite outside of the way that it was designed for, you don't get to control the outcomes. And maybe, maybe you're still kind of like, ugh. That was a kind of cute analogy, but it doesn't really, still doesn't really fit me, Chris. Still doesn't really sink in for me. What about this? As we begin to wrap up, what about this? Have you ever dreamed, have you ever dreamed of your perfect partner walking in the doors and going, I love you with most of my heart. I love you with most of my heart. You know who I think about all the time? You and your roommate. You and your roommate are always on my mind. All the time. No, no one's ever thought that because romance is fueled by exclusivity. Romance is fueled by exclusivity. And the thing is, when you get into a relationship, why is it that you want to know about your partner's sexual past? Because you know that being in the relationship right now, not dating anyone, doesn't have a, a lot, like th- there is exclusivity there. But you know that decisions you make in the past affect the exclusivity of the relationship that you're currently in. Decisions that you've made uh, and outcomes that you've decided to engage in in the past affect the exclusivity of the relationship that you're currently in. And that's why Paul's so uh, pressing this into these guys, the way that you express that sexual appetite. Sure, you can make the decision now, but it's going to affect the exclusivity of your relationships in the future. No one ever wanted to hear, I love you with most of my heart. And we struggle because we think, once I'm in a relationship, I'm exclusive, right? But you know, and I know, if, for those of us that have been in a relationship, if, if someone has, has um, you know, had sexual experiences outside of that relationship, it hurts. It, hurt, it, does, it doesn't matter whether it hurts a little or it hurts a lot. It hurts. And that's something we have to overcome. And what I, what I want to, as we wrap up, this, this idea that we've kind of been talking is sex is not just physical. I want you to think about the idea that your sexual experience before marriage may enhance your sexual performance, but it will damage your relationship. Your experience may enhance your performance, but it will damage your relationship. And so we've been talking about this series, are you the person the person you're looking for is looking for? Not because we want to keep something from you, but because no one's talking about it. Because we want to set you up for relational success in your life. And we believe that God designed us and because God, uh, God designed us, he has the best way and he knows the best way to experience sex. And that's within the confines of marriage. And I understand that when we talk about this stuff, 
there are going to be some people here who this, this brings up some really unpleasant stuff for you. This brings up some things that, that you wish you hadn't done and this brings up, up some feelings that you maybe didn't even know that you had. But when we talk about it in light of your future, you, you might begin to uh, understand the gravity of you know, your past and, and where that might lead. But I want to tell you, the whole point of this message is not to condemn you. The, the whole point of this message is to show you that you can't change your past, but you can write a different story. You cannot change what has happened in the past, but you can begin to rewrite the story and you can write the story that you want to tell in three or five years time. I see, oftentimes when we hear a message like this, we just feel so bad and say, oh my goodness, because of all the things I've done, no one will ever love me. And and oftentimes when people begin to say this, they, they begin to think this way, they say, if only I'd have known this earlier, if only someone had sat me down and told me this, And what they really mean is, it's too late for me to change. It's too late. I've already made my bed. I've got to live with the decisions that I've made. You don't. Your past is in your past, but no one ever changed from feeling bad. People changed because they saw what the future could look like. And they began to write a story that would match the future that they wanted to have. As we wrap up tonight, I want to show you what kind of future you could have. But tonight, um, we want to give away... because. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not or whether you're just in between, you just want to, came to hang out for the night, uh, we've got 10 copies of this book to give away. Uh, the New Rules for Love, Sex and Dating. They're going to be up at the Connect desk at the back. Uh, if, you, if you really feel that this series has spoken to you, go and grab one of these books because this is just full of, of absolute gold of ways that you can set yourself up for relational success. It's a, it's a really uh, easy read. But I wanted to read you just a little part out of this book. Because oftentimes, you know, when we hear a message like this, um, you know, we, we feel so weighed down or we have the potential to feel so weighed down because of our past. And we think, you know what, I'm not going to change. The boat has already sailed. I want to show you what your future could look like. And I wanna, I wanna, what I want to do is I want to show you two stories. And as we, as we read through these two stories, I want you to be thinking of this thing. We have this thing at Beyond. It's called For Monday. Because we believe there's no point coming to church on Sunday if it doesn't impact you for the rest of the week. And so the form Monday that I want you to think about as I read this is, what story do you want to tell? What story do you want to be able to look back and tell in your life? Because let's be honest, we all have chapters in the books of our lives that we hope that nobody ever reads. But you can begin to rewrite the story and you can begin to write how it's going to finish. And so if you don't know, if at the end of these two stories you're not sure what story you want to tell, I'm going to I'll finish up with a question that'll help you decide as well. This is the first story. After my first sexual experience, I pretty much decided sex was just part of the deal. I assumed I would eventually settle down with someone, but I didn't see any harm in fooling around until I met the right person. Who doesn't? Then a friend recommended a book, (coughs) this one. Uh, I read it. The author beat me up pretty bad. Told me I needed to prepare to commit. Told me my sexual history was going to undermine intimacy later on. He kept saying I needed to become somebody rather than just look for somebody. It made sense. And I might have taken him more seriously if I I were 20, but I wasn't. So I just kept looking for the right person and enjoying myself along the way. If I'm honest, I hope to meet somebody whose sexual history is a bit less interesting than mine. And yet I'll probably keep most of mine to myself. In spite of what the guy who wrote the book said, once I meet the right person, I'm confident everything will be all right. That's the first story. This is the second one. 
After my first sexual experience, I pretty much decided sex was just part of the deal. I assumed I would eventually settle down with somebody. But I didn't see any harm in fooling around until I met the right person. Who doesn't? Then a friend recommended a book. I read, I read it. The author beat me up pretty bad, told me I needed to prepare to commit, told me my sexual history was going to undermine intimacy later on. He kept saying I needed to become somebody rather than just looking for somebody. It made sense. I tried to put it down a couple of times and just move on with my life, but I knew he was right. I was tempted to use my age and sexual experience as an excuse. You know, if I'd heard that earlier, maybe I would have done things differently. But at the end, he reminded me that my future does not have to be a continuation of my past. If I was honest with myself, my recent past was not a story I would be proud to tell, especially to someone I was in love with. He was right. I would probably lie about my past. So I, begin, I decided to begin writing a better story. I took a breath from looking for the right person and focused on becoming the right person. I decided to prepare to commit. As part of that preparation, I decided that from that moment on, I would reserve sex for marriage. That was three years ago. I'm a different person today. And maybe you heard both of those stories and you're not sure which story you want to tell. Because you're at a point, you're like, ah, I want to make changes. Oh, I don't really know what story I want to tell. If you don't know what story you want to tell, ask yourself what story you want to hear. When you meet the person that the person you, or when you meet the person you're looking for, what story do you want to hear? Because that'll give you a, a pretty good indication of the story that you want to write and the story that you want to tell. It's not too late to begin to write the story that you want to tell and, and that you will be happy to share with someone that you're in love with, someone that you're expressing this intimate, that you're experiencing this intimacy with. And if you're weighed down and you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I can do this. This is the whole point of the cross. Jesus leads us to the cross and, and this, this Savior who died for our sins says, you don't need to hold on to your past any longer. You don't need to let your past write the story of your future. You can be freed right now from whatever is weighing you down, from the grace or by the grace of the God-man who gave up his life willingly for you, knowing every mistake that you would ever make, not just sexually, but ever. And he still willingly chose to hang on the cross for you so that his grace could pour over you, so that you could write a story that was worth telling. And you could write a story, not off your own bat, but with the saviour of the world walking alongside you. And even if you're not a Christian here tonight, this can apply to you. So what story do you want to tell? And what story do you want to hear? We're going to pray. Uh, the band's going to jump back up. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the way that you designed sex because it's awesome. But Lord, either because we weren't sure or, or no one ever really told us or, or maybe because we wanted to experiment and try things our own way, Lord, sometimes we, we have tried to make sex just physical. Even though we know that, that sex, it's not just physical. And Lord, for those of us that have made mistakes in our past, for those of us who feel the weight of that baggage, Father, we just pray that your love and your forgiveness would wash over them. Lord, that they would know that that their future does not have to be a continuation of their past. Lord, that by your death and victory over, over death on the cross, that you freed them up to begin to walk into the future. 
not carrying this baggage, Lord, but, but as a child, as a son, as a daughter of the living God. So, Father, I want to pray particularly for people tonight who are wrestling with that decision, struggling over what story they want to tell. Father, I just pray that your spirit would fall on these people, that you would empower them to begin to write a story that they would want to share, a story that they would look back on, and and a story that they can say, there are some chapters I'm not proud of, but this is a story that's worth telling. We just thank you so much, Lord, that Jesus frees us up by his grace to be able to tell that story without any worry of condemnation, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We just pray that we would be a people who have a story worth telling. Pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.